All right, y'all. So I'm kicking off my humanism series with the topic feminist feminism. Um, I centered this discussion around Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's um, TED Talk, We Should All Be Feminist. Uh, I feel like she did a really good job of breaking down what feminism really is and or what it's become over time because I feel like there's been a big disconnect in what you know it used to mean and what it really means um and with me i have a friend and he's going to give a more male perspective on feminism and i guess what he perceives it to be and if you want to introduce yourself sir yes um first of all i would like to appreciate you for um having me here i would like to thank god but yeah um <laughs> i go by tommy as well but to be honest i am the best and first and we're gonna cut you off (laughs) because he be doing the most he know i'm the best he stole my nickname it's just all good but anywho so to kick start this discussion i kind of want to see where your head is when um you think of the word feminism what do you think of how would you define it would you consider yourself a feminist you can pick up wherever you want with those questions. Um, the first thing that come come to mind, I would say, is equal rights. Okay. And um, it will be equal rights towards women, mm-hmm. all women, actually, mm-hmm. to see how they are being tra- uh being treated in the culture and society, um, pol- in politics or the economic way, um, and. It's just crazy how they feel real powerless because of the way they are being treated, which is not right. Mm-hmm. I think um, everybody should be treated equally, as well as uh, for them to be treated equally towards males. Um, and that's something that is still going on. Hopefully, it changes. But uh, yeah, that's my thought. And how would you define feminism? Um. Or what would you say feminism is? Like, what does, what is the movement about? What does it embody in your, um, from your perspective? I mean, well, is this basically what I said? Uh, women feeling powerless. Okay. And I know you grew up in America, but you also have, like, Nigerian influence, right? Yes. And I think that's one thing I failed to mention. Um, we both are Nigerian. I was born in Nigeria. Were you born? We both were born in Nigeria. So we grew up in African households, which is very interesting. Um, me being a female, that was a completely different dynamic, and I'm sure it was a little bit different for you being a man or growing up as a man in an African household. But it's interesting to see how different, um, I guess you could say, it is for um, females in an African household and then trying to find themselves in American society. So I kind of want to see like what you... As a man growing up in a Nigerian household, what were some of the things, like the responsibilities that were placed on you? Or what were the things that your parents taught you to, I guess, you know, help you become more of a man? And then 
How did you view women because of that? Well, um, in my under my parents' household, um, I have an older brother and an older sister, so I'm the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because of African culture, I guess you can say, um, the man is always doing all the work. Mm-hmm. So they're taking care of the bills, they're working, um, they're not doing stuff in the house, but for the women, they got to be at the house, they got to cook, clean, um, when the husband come home. So you would say that it's very much more of like a, you were, or your parents raised you with a more patriarchal view on like roles and responsibilities of a man versus a woman. Um, well, yeah, because... I mean, that's what I saw growing up. But mm-hmm. as the older I get, I feel like it shouldn't be that way at all. And why do you feel that way? Because if it, it's, I want to ask that question because there's always that question of um, nurture versus na- uh, nature. Or, yeah, nature versus nurture, right? You know, how you're groomed versus what you're exposed to. And obviously those two play a huge part in shaping who you are. But if you were groomed and nurtured in one way of life, what made you say, you know, that's completely different and want to be more open to exploring a different possibility? Do you think it was because of you living in American society and seeing that progression? Or do you think there were other factors? Uh, I think it's just, well, I guess me being in American society, but at the same time, I feel like just being aware of everything and looking up everything, looking at everything, um, I feel like everybody's going to have their own perspective on things. They didn't see what is right and they see what is wrong. Um, I think everything, everything should be a balance. Um, instead of the guy in the household always working every time. I mean, I think the women should help work, not help work, but let them do what they want to do. If it's not cooking, let them have a job too as well. So then the men and the women, um, husband or wife or whatever, they could um, compromise and come on an agreement to like help pay the bills or you do this and I do that type thing, make everything balanced. So you're 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 speaking of more of like a idealistic society, I guess, a more utopia. Um, kind of set up in the household. And it's interesting that you brought up the topic of marriage because one of the things that Chimamanda Ngozi um, addresses is that for females, and I guess I should get into my side of what it was like growing up in an African household, but she says that as females that we are raised with the idea that marriage is the most important. And I think that's so true. I remember um, growing up, my parents were very they were very open about what was expected of me as a woman, you know? Okay, yeah, I expect you to go to school. I expect you to be at the top of your class, but hey, we're only doing this. We're only putting these expectations on you because we want you to marry well. We want you to find a husband that is, you know, going to be either a doctor or a lawyer um, you know, one of the top four um, career choices that Africans always put on a pedestal and, and you know, be able to survive and have children and raise those children to follow those same exact steps that we've placed for you. And I feel like for me, I kind of rebelled against that because I also remember, you know, what it looked like for my mom in her marriage. 
Um, not saying that there's anything wrong with it because obviously it worked for my mom, but I think it made me resent marriage. It made me resent being a woman because it's like, wow, I viewed my own sex as being a disadvantage. And as I grew older, I started to see how much of a disadvantage it was. I mean, in school settings, um, amongst cousins, amongst family members, you know. Um, I remember see, knowing that, okay, well, while my boy cousins could sit in front of the TV and play video games, if my mom was in the kitchen, I had to be in the kitchen as well. Like that unfair expectation. Um, and even my mom, you know, both my parents have PhDs, you know, education is obviously really big in African society and, you know, African culture. Um, and both of them were getting their doctorates at the same time. And it was interesting to see that both of them were getting their doctorates at the same time, working full-time jobs, and yet my mom had all this responsibility. I'm sure my dad in his own way, or he felt that he was helping out, but a lot of the household responsibility and chores were essentially put on my mother. You know, she would be at work all day, pick me up from school, come home, still cook, and then she would be up till three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning working on her dissertation because that was, even though she was, you know, he was supporting her and pursuing her dreams, he still had this expectation that she's a wife, she's his woman, and she still has to maintain the household. And so, um, Again, that I feel like that really relates to what Adichie was saying that as a woman, we're always expected to put make sure that our marriage is the most important. Like you can be, she says specifically, you can be ambitious but not too ambitious. Um, you have to make life choices in order to make sure that you're still able to fulfill your role as a woman. Um, and even me, I remember too, when it came down to choosing careers, um, I, I will never forget my dad saying this, but um, I had decided very early on, again, I'm, I'm trying to, um, I guess, be submissive to what my parents expected for me. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so at this point in my life, I had decided that I wanted to go into medicine. And I remember deciding, you know, I want to be a doctor. You know, I had already done my research on um, what kind of marks I need to get in college in order to apply to medical school, what kind of things that I would need to be involved with in order to, you know, be more a priority when it came down to deciding. And I remember my dad saying, are you sure you really want to do this? Like, you know, you do plan on getting married. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? Because again, I had, I grew up in America. So it's a more progressive society. You see, um, you see households with two doctors. Of course, it's not the most balanced situation because, you know, they're doctors, their schedules are busy. I mean, I saw my dad's brother who was married to a dentist. So he was a doctor, a, prim a primary caretaker. 
and she was a dentist and I'm sure their lives were hectic, but it was still functional. They were still able to, you know, raise three children successfully. And so I grew up seeing a more progressive society. You know, I saw um, households where you had somebody who was a doctor and a lawyer and they were both, you know, striving to be at the top of their game. And so I didn't see anything wrong with my ambition. And he was like, well, I feel like being a nurse would be more practical because as a woman, you're going to have children. You know, you still need to be able to come home and take care of the household. And I remember feeling so defeated when he said that. And it almost made me lose hope just to think that I have to think of my ambition as lesser to appeal to a man. And so I don't know if, you know, I I know as a man, that's a little bit, it looks a little bit different. Um, I don't know if you want to share your opinion or shed some light on it. Feel free to butt in and cut me off and say, oh, I think this or that, you know. Uh, you had great points because I could relate to a lot of things you said. Um First of all, since we have Nigerian parents, African parents in general, um, what they see is what they see. What they was raised, um, what they raise, how they raise is what how they want the kids to be raised as well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they need to be more open because I feel like they've just been in a small circle for so long. They don't know like there's other circles out there that. That could be greater or even the same expectation that they think it would be. Um, but do you think that that might have to do with the kind of society? American society? Well, no, more Nigerian society because if for you sure. think about it, you know, Nigerian women for a long time weren't allowed to go to school. They weren't, you know, not even that they weren't allowed to go to school, but they were married off at such a young age that once they finished their um, elementary, middle, high school, usually they were they were married off. So, I mean, you think that plays a role into why they have that view and why it's so hard to progress past it? In, in Nigeria, I mean, everywhere has to be better. I mean, I feel like America is the only place that is free. It's it's free, but it's not free. But I'm saying it's free because you could do whatever you want to do mm-hmm. that you feel like you would be successful in, mm-hmm. or you know you'd be successful in, or something that you'd like to do. Mm-hmm. Other countries, Nigeria, it's it's like it's like having it's like having an arranged marriage. You're you don't know that guy. You don't know that person, that lady or man. You don't know that person yet. Mm-hmm. But you're forced to marry that person. So, like, that's all they know. They were forced to do things. It's not like it, they don't have freedom that, okay, let me try this, let me try that. It's like, no, you have to do this so then y'all could have have to have this, this and that. So, I feel like everything is just being forced over there. That's why, I mean, some of them, they come to America and they be they be in a better place because they don't have, what they have, what we have here is not what they have over there. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Yeah, I just feel like it's it's a society it's it's a society over there, but it's it's tough actually. Really. Why would you say that? For example, like SARS. Mm, yeah. We can move into SARS like 
And it's, I don't know, because I feel like a lot of things in this world is just common sense. Because if the, okay, whatever, SARS, I don't know if everybody's familiar with SARS, but Yeah, SARS if you can just, the, like, give us a little background yeah, on so that. SARS is, is basically the police from the government in Nigeria, right? But they're there to protect people. Mm-hmm. But instead of protecting, it's like they're... They turn their backs on them and going against who they're supposed to protect. So, you know, they're involved in, like, killing, mm-hmm. death, mm-hmm. Um, torturing, kidnapping, mm-hmm. rape, and all that things. And But it, they're doing... So, they're killing innocent people. And it's a reflection on the corruption that exists in the government. Absolutely. And, and there's no really no reason for them to be doing that if they have nothing to do with the government right and the worst part about it is because there's no the government implemented SARS to begin with but they never had any regulation for it so what's happening is chaos essentially these officers now have this title with this power behind it and there's no regulation. There's no checks and balances. And I think that's that's one thing that is very different with America government, America's government and Nigeria's government is America's government is able to function so well because of the checks and balances. It's like a continuously mm-hmm. reoccurring cycle. You can't make one thing without another. You know, every every role in government in office down to the citizens themselves is incorporated in making sure laws and policies and organizations are constantly under scrutiny and so nigeria is so different because what happens is you have people who get placed in power because of their influence, their monetary influence, never because of their political agenda or their um, their convictions. It's usually they get into power because of their own, you know, agenda for self-preservation, self-wealth. And they start making decisions for selfish reasons. And that makes room for people to do whatever the fuck they want. Right. And that's what that's what's going on with SARS right now. And on a smaller level, that's also what's going on with America, with the Black Lives Matters movement, because I feel like that's one thing that a lot of people are failing to realize is that the Black Lives Matter movement and and SARS are the same battle, just on different spectrums, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, first of all, shout out to social media. (laughs) Yes. I feel like social media plays a big role now. Um, If it wasn't for social media, nobody in the world would know what SARS is. Absolutely. And it's crazy. Yeah, it's like (laughs) the power that social media have is is unbelievable. Because everything is so instant, instantaneous. It's at your fingertips. Things happen overnight like this. You will know things. You will know news from social media before you know on TV. Yep. And, and, and it's so funny because one of the things that the Nigeria government tried to do during this whole SARS movement was they tried to shut down social yeah. media. 
And I'm just sitting there like, these are your people. These are your, these are the people who are paying your bills, who are, they're paying their taxes and they're, 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 are, they're the ones that are making our culture, our culture, our society, our society. And you're trying to literally shut their mouths and you're supposed to be a democratic country. And how can you be a democratic country if you're taking away your own people's right to freedom of speech? And that's what I said when it's common sense because for the police officers in Nigeria, why kill the innocent citizens? Why won't y'all just go attack who's in the office? It makes more sense doing it that way. I think um, I saw an interview where I, I can't I, I can't be too specific because I I glanced at it. I didn't take down the names or anything, but they were doing um, a cover of the protest. It was like a live broadcasting. Um, they had just. I think um, the protest had just left that area, whatever. Um, and there was a situation where um, somebody's child was killed. Obviously, you know, that's what's been going on with police brutality in Nigeria. And one of the officials, I don't, I can't say if he was a government official, but he was somebody who was higher up. And he came out when the cameras were out to do the interview for the news. Meanwhile, he was saying that he had been staying in the safety of his home, but he heard everything and he saw everything. I'm just sitting there like, how can you be that close to it and not feel anything? Like I, like, I remember when I first saw a video of what was going on, I literally broke down because it's like, I, and, and it's crazy because I never lived in Nigeria. And I, I feel I feel like it's the people, it's the children who haven't lived there who are more empathetic to what's going on. Maybe it's because we've, we've experienced Black Lives Matter here. Or maybe it's because we know what it's like. We're seeing it firsthand because we're so easily, it's so easily accessible to us through social media. But I remember seeing that and just feeling so torn inside and feeling like so helpless. And the only thing you feel like you can do is retweet it, repost it, you know, talk about it amongst classmates. I'm, I, I, you know, for one of my projects in class, I, I wrote about it because I'm like, that's the only thing I can do to bring awareness. And it, it hurts that me, who's not there, is trying so trying to find so many different ways to bring awareness to it, to stop it. And the people who are right there, who are in power and position of leadership, who can do so much more, who have monetary influence, who have you know, status influence. And they're literally sitting there like sitting ducks worrying about when next they can fly to Dubai, when next they can, you know, buy the next next Ashoke. Like, it's so stupid, you know? It's very stupid. Um, they, they don't pay, well, obviously they know what's going on. They don't pay fully attention to it because they feel like it will die down. They but, would think, they would just get tired of protesting or get tired of talking about it, but that would never happen. Until something is done, then they will stop. But 
Nothing is changing. Nothing. And they keep saying they're dissolving SARS. They've dissolved SARS. And it's like, okay, you're just, you, you've, do, you've documented the fact that you dissolve SARS. But how are you implicating that? Like, how are you manifesting that into action? Like, where, where are we seeing SARS being dis- dissolved? Because every time I check into the latest news of what's going on in Nigeria or I, I, I scroll through my social media, I keep seeing more hashtags and SARS and SARS. And it's like, so what exactly are you really doing? And it hurts too because it's like these are they're targeting youth, and Nigeria has has a history of being corrupt and um, having poor leadership, and you know a lot a lot of people have heard about um, how a lot of our natural resources have been sold to other countries to the point where we're starting to lose control of our own country. Um, we've been recolonized, even though not um, officially, right? No country has officially taken over our government, but our economy has completely been recolonized by Indians, Chinese. Um, think of a country, you name it, they're in our country right now. And so these youth have the power to grow up, learn, you know, different things and possibly implicate changes that could allow us to regain control of our country. And these, (laughs) these soldiers, these police officers are literally killing them off. So it's like the, the one chance of possible change that could happen is completely being dissolved Mm -hmm. and and then i wonder and then people wonder why nigerians don't want to go back home what is there to go back home to you know i mean what really hurts is when you have relatives over there mm -hmm. and they telling you like oh yeah we protesting and you know Mm -hmm. we out here and everything and you can't and i'd be scared i'm like you know, be careful. Like, don't go out there. It's crazy out there. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like, Black Lives Matter is here. Yeah. It's like us going to protest too at the same time. So you can't really be mad at them. For wanting to make a change. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, it, it yeah, it's, it's crazy out here. Yeah. Really. Um, and I guess that kind of like transitions into like what's been going on in America and just like the prejudice um, in really just flagrant racism. Um, As a lot of you know, at this point in time, we have a new president elect or not, or our our next future president is going to be President Biden. Um, And out of office, we've kicked Trump out. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. (laughs) Raise the roof. Um, And... I think it's it's important to talk about what it was like under Trump administration. Because I think a lot of people are like, well, he's just the president. He can't really do much. Like, there's still checks and balances. And although that may be true, but he is still the face of America. He is represent he is the biggest representation of America today. 
And the fact that he was so blatant about his disrespect towards the black community and just towards people in general, like that was crazy. Yeah. Um, words in office, when you get in office, all eyes and pressure is on you. Right. No matter what. But you got to make sense. <laughs> When you talking, when you making the speech, or you coming out to say something, you gotta make sense. True. Like, there's no way. There's no way, you're just gonna ignore something. You're being warned on something, mm. and then you're gonna ignore it. Yep. And then a month or two later, it's just, it's just like crazy. It's open. Yeah. It was chaos. Yeah, you have to like shut down states. You shutting down businesses. Yep. And you're already warned before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you heard that oh it's coming and spreading blah, blah, blah. But you ignored it. And then that was affected it affected you too. You know, it's like Unfortunately. We gotta be I mean, smart. Unfortunately. <laughs> you gotta be smart and like it's just but well, good thing you gotta do with that no more. I mean Go no, but I think it's still important to to address the fact that under Trump's administration, so many things were went wrong, especially, I mean, COVID-19 was probably one for the history books under his yeah. administration. Like, he will never be able to run away from that ghost that during his administration, the, the best, the most that he did, and honestly, he probably didn't even do that for real, for real, was maybe the stimulus package. But... Again, a lot of those, like you said, a lot of that could have been prevented because we we were hearing about these COVID cases coming up as they were coming up. Mm-hmm. Like there were so many steps that America could have took to to either prepare us or completely um, help us to avoid it. I mean, we're looking at um, Thailand. Brno, I, I think I said that wrong. It's the country in um, Southeast Asia. These countries, as soon as they heard about the cases of COVID, right, they immediately shut down within a, a span of weeks. So that, or I think it was about um, one one country shut down for like a whole month because they knew that COVID ran its course for a total of you four four weeks, like uh, two mm-hmm. weeks, really, um, to essentially get whatever cases that they did have completely isolated and done with so that way they could open and reconvene and go back to business like nothing was happening. But our president just... And I think that's also where it comes... I think that's where you have um, people who are who are made for politics... Because politicians think like politicians because they know politics and they know government. That's the unfortunate truth. I mean, as much as we hate to admit it, but at the end of the day, after having a president who knew nothing about politics and only knew about running a business, he ran America like it was a business. Unfortunately, I mean, he literally acted like every employer would act if they had sick sick employees like well you're not contagious you're not dying so i expect you to be at work every single day until you can't breathe anymore and that's literally how he was running our country to (laughs) 
to uh <laughs> to point out the stimulus check. I feel like that stimulus check was like giving everybody a paid vacation. It was. And I think a lot of people fail to realize that everything comes at a cost. Unfortunately, <sighs> during this this year, those stimulus checks went a long way. But we are going to be paying for those stimulus checks exactly. <laughs> for the next <laughs> three to five years. Because what all that did was that added money to the economy, which is great, right? Because that increases the value of the dollar because the dollar value had significantly dropped. But then there's inflation. Because now, next year, we're going to have a lot of money in circulation because now people are getting back into work. So now people are getting more money. More money is being printed. The dollar value is going to go down slightly. <laughs> what are we going to do next? The government's going to increase taxes. Like, all these things are going to happen. All these deals that we're getting this year, they're not going to be the same next year. Everything is going to spike up. <laughs> cost of living is going to change just because of this whole whole experience um and that's what one of the things that bothers me is a lot of black people you know people of i don't even want to just say black people i'll just say people of color who were ignorant enough to stand behind trump during this whole election i remember i'll give you an example i had a co-worker um and I'm not very fond of this coworker, so I really don't care if he hears it what he thinks. <laughs> because he already knows I'm not like I don't give any you know, anything about him. But um I remember the day of election, he had come in and he was talking to me and my boss. Well, he was trying to talk to me and my boss. Me, I had shut him out because I'm like, You have you have no sense, so me, I don't care about what you have to say. And um he was just like, well, who'd you vote for? And we're just sitting there like, well, why are you asking? Like, who, who does this? And he's just black guy. And he was like, you know, well, you know, you know, Trump is running, blah, blah, blah. And he just kept fishing. So finally, my boss is like, who'd you vote for? He's like, you know, I'm Trump all the way. And I'm. he's like, yeah, because Trump, you know, he did the stimulus checks. And honestly, he didn't do anything bad. Everything that happened that was bad was out of his control. I'm like, but sir, the man is a flat, <laughs> he's a flat out racist. And I, was, I just remember sitting there like, how dumb does it get that you can... You can be so ignorant about how certain things are affecting your own your whole community. And this is not somebody who's making a whole lot of money. Like it's it's not like Trump really did anything for him. So it just confuses me when I see that kind of And this is how you know money money talks. Mm. When you for example, like, okay, people of color that support Trump. If you ask them, what is the best thing Trump did? Mm. And what are they going to say? The stimulus check. <laughs> Meanwhile, what's the And then you can be like, okay, besides that, what did he do? Mm. Yeah. And then they'll go quiet. Mm. That's how you know money, like, money rules anything, like, everywhere, anything. Yeah, but it wasn't enough to buy him his votes back into the White House. It wasn't enough, but... He, if you elect 
if you just let Trump again, he's gonna be like, oh well, he gonna give us another check. He gonna give us another stimulus check. Mm-hmm. But happy wasn't enough votes though for him to get in. But it's yeah. I mean, yeah. with everything that happened, especially in this year alone, with the Ahmad Arbery case, Breonna Taylor, like all those things that happened under his administration, and just the way that he responded to it, I think those were big red flags of the kind of person that we had as representation for the people. Just the fact that, and even during the the, um, loitering, you know, when people were (coughs) rioting and because they were distraught, they were upset about, you know, this police brutality that was occurring and nothing was being done. All these officers were getting away scotch-free. And then you have the president who is backing it up and saying, you know, let's go send the army over there. Like, you're, where was the compassion? I feel like one of the things that, and I think that's what distinguished Biden, Biden away, um, from, um, from Trump. And I think that's also one of the reasons why Obama was able to be so successful in his administration was the fact that despite people disagreeing with certain policies that he put in place or despite disagreeing with certain views, there was always that link that they maintained with the people. You know, they were always aware of the social cries of the people. And that's one thing that Trump disconnected um, himself from. He dissociated completely from. And it's so crazy because he used every social media platform that made himself easily accessible to the people to further dissociate himself from the people every single time that he went on there. Um, And again, that's again, because of Biden's ability to be compassionate towards the black community and the cause, you know, the pain that we've been feeling after seeing so many cases and being so fed up, and especially in the midst of a pandemic, I think that's what really propelled his success. And then even better was the fact that he put a black female as his VP, <laughs> right? Like, that's awesome. I think um, the fact that she Kamala Harris is the first female vice president and then the first black person in... Uh, uh, not the second black person in a high, you know, leadership position in America. Um, and I, I, I guess that kind of just circles us back to the topic of feminism again. Um, and I think this is where Ngozi Adichie kind of goes and talks about feminism is, um, if I put it correctly, I wish I had written down the quote for her, how she defined it exactly. Matter of fact, let me see if you want to talk a little bit while I quickly look up this quote because I really loved how she put it. Um, Maybe I have it here. She put, she says, feminist, a person who believes in the social, 
political and economic equality of sexes. And I think that um, with our new VP, I think that really just embodies what feminism is all about. It's not necessarily, I think a lot of people have this misconstrued idea that I mean, I take that back. I don't want to say it's misconstrued because there are there are many different types of feminism, um, but the specific feminism that Adichie is talking about is centered around just wanting to level the playing field. I think at the end of the day, as a woman myself, um, I would like to be able to walk into a boardroom or into an office of men and not feel that I'm being objectified or sexualized, but being viewed as an equal who is a counterpart and has just as much brains to speak on certain things that are impactful. Um, And I think a lot of people believe, buy into this idea that all feminists are women who just want to be independent and don't want to be submissive and don't want um who just want to be in control all the time and that's not true um i'm feminist but i still believe in the institution of marriage and i still do believe in submitting to leadership or submitting to a man if i feel that that man also believes that i'm equal to him you know um, I, I guess I would p- define feminism for me as just, I don't know. I guess I would just say that, like she put it, just wanting to be equal. Um, I don't really care. I'm not going to sit at a dinner table and say that, oh, I'm going to pay for my own meal because I don't, I don't want to be, um, ruled by a man like no like you know I I still believe that you know a man is supposed to be a man and a man's role is a provider but I'm not gonna try and here's what here's how I'll put it a lot of people believe that all feminists believe in the emasculation of a man and that's wrong because I don't think that a man should ever be emasculated. Um, I think that a man should be taught to understand that a woman is not lesser than him, but a woman should never feel like she has to take a man's role and say that a man can't do this or be lording over a man. Because you know there are some females who will be like, who will literally act like they're a man, you know. Um, they will talk to, they will demean men. They will try, they will take on, um, if they're making more money, they expect the man to now be the slave around the house, you know? And I don't think that's, that's right. I feel like with, as with anything, too much of anything is bad. You know, there has to be a balance. And I feel like that's all feminism is asking for is there's a balance. Like if I'm married I expect that we are both living in the house. We are both responsible for the house's well-being. If we have children, we are both responsible for those children. So whether that's picking up after the kids, whether it's um, paying for their education, whether it's um, cooking for them, 
it's not one person's role to raise a child. It's a partnership. Um, and I guess that's just how I view it. And if I'm going off of her definition and my expectations of it. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, I think another word to describe... Another word to describe feminism? Well, I guess you could say opportunity. Mm. Um, women don't get as much opportunity as they should. Um, I feel like women deserves better, deserves more, to be honest. Um, yeah. But he, he just don't get that chance, in which I feel like it's not fair. <clears throat> because, I mean, if you put a pr- you put a pressure on, um, you just put a pressure on men so much they get tired, they get stressed, and this and that. Like they say in the household, mm. in the household they say the men just keep working so much and they get stressed, tired. And then he start complaining about, oh, I can't pay the bills and da-da-da. But they said a wife acts like, okay, let me help you pay for the water bill, a light bill. Not even that, but like, <clears throat> I think my parents, like going back to their example, yes, they still have that kind of like role play, the traditional role play. But joint accounts. That's what they both equally. I mean, my dad felt like he had to always pick up more because he naturally made more. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, they were very diplomatic about how to pay for stuff. It was very much a shared responsibility. It wasn't one person has all this responsibility because at the end of the day, we all making money. We all living. We yeah, all living. I mean, it's true. Um, I know, um, I know, actually, I know a friend, well, especially my cousin. Mm-hmm. So, my uncle and my aunt. So, my uncle, he pays most of the stuff in the house. And when he starts to run out, like, here and there, and then my cousin, he offered, like, to help pay for something. And his dad was like, no, because, you know, I don't want you to spend anything, you know, so I'll take care of it, isn't that? But he keeps coming home, stressing and complain about he can't pay for this and that. And I guess the best way is just, so my cousin, he all he did was just change the bill to under his name. Mm-hmm. So then, like, now it's an automatic pay from my cousin instead of my, uh, except for his dad. So his, so my, so his dad was complaining about, like, why, like, why is my water bill not showing up on my payment and this and this and that. And my cousin, he's like, because we see that you're stressing, it doesn't hurt to ask. Mm-hmm. That's one thing about that's one thing about men. Like men are scared to ask for help, mm, and it's the pride. It's but you guys are raised with that. You're raised with that pride. Yes, men is raised with that pride. Uh, with that pride, but I still feel like why keep stressing? If you go, if you keep stressing, it's stressing every time. Mm. And you keep if you stress. You know you're stressing. Mm-hmm. Don't complain about it. You know what you put yourself into. Mm-hmm. Don't complain about it. If you need help with anything, it doesn't hurt to ask for help. Right. That does not mean that you feel less of it. Like, don't, that don't mean your pride is going down if you ask for help. No, it doesn't. At all. It, it doesn't mean that. I, I, in fact, I would even argue that a real man is willing to do what he needs to do in order to take care of his family. And that sometimes entails seeking out help. Absolutely. A man, a, man, a boy 
is somebody who allows his pride to dictate whether or not he will ask for help. You know, um, and I th- I think, you know, just piggybacking off of like what you were saying, um, I think also it's not just the pressure from society that is placed on men. I think women too have this um, unrealistic expectation for men as well. And I think that also plays into why sometimes men feel like they have to be dominant, they have to be controlling, and um, they cannot be in equal partnership with their counterpart because of this unrealistic expectation that a lot of women have on men. Um, I think I remember, and and I'm guilty of this. I think it took me, it didn't take me too long because I'm still young, but I remember feeling like, and again, based on what I saw in my household, right? Um, I remember thinking, you know, a man's supposed to (laughs) have it all together, you know? He's supposed to pay all the bills. He's supposed to, um, you know, provide for, for our living and more, you know, buy luxury stuff take me to different parts of the world like I placed all those unrealistic expectations on who I expected my future husband to be because that's what I saw growing up and if I did that and I know there are so many other women who are doing that to men I mean first of all that's one of the main Money is always one of the main um, causes for divorces. And there there have been studies that show that a lot of men end up in more debt just trying to keep up this expectation that their women, their wives have. And so you have all this responsibility that a lot of females are placing on this men. And then these are the same females who turn around and say, well, I want equal rights. I want equal pay. I want this, that, and the third. And you're like, how is that going to work when you still have a backwards expectation that you're placing on men? You know? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think... I think we as a society have a lot of work to do in regards of social prejudice and justice and sexuality. I mean, at this point, we're so late in the game to be having the same discussions and the same um, issues over and over again. But I guess to wrap this up, you know, I really appreciate you stepping into um, the room to have this discussion with me. I um, I think that we covered a lot of ground and addressed a lot of issues. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, it was great. <laughs> you know, um, I love talking to you about anything. <laughs> this is, you are probably one of the most open-minded person I know (laughs) you know so uh, yeah this is great alright alright guys so stay tuned for the next podcast I can't tell you when it's gonna drop but it's gonna drop alright alright bye signing out